Hello out there and welcome to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan Cole, and we're here to talk little everything. <laughs> um, as usual, we're going to kind of start off with some recruiting, but this is kind of a really interesting time of year for South Carolina fans. I know some of you might check out uh, after football season, if you're still around and still listening, don't do that because uh, the roster is still changing pretty significantly for 2023. Um, we got basketball going on. We got baseball starting to ramp up. Um, it's a it's a really exciting time, and spring football will be here very 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 quickly, yeah. much quicker than you expect. Um, but yeah, before we get fully into transfer news and who's back and who's not and all that sort of stuff. Let me talk recruiting for just a moment. Um, so you're kind of in this weird place recruiting wise right now. So at the end of December, you had the early signing period, which has really become the de facto like signing period uh, at this point. So almost everyone uh, except for um, Xavier Hardy that was committed to South Carolina signed uh, in December, we've talked about Xavier Hardy a little bit. He last, you know, word from him as he was talking um, to folks on national site arrivals was that he is still planning to sign in February. He just had to work out some stuff with the NCAA clearinghouse. We'll keep you posted uh, if that changes at all. Um, and then, as far as um, high school guys, you still got Nicholas Harbor out there on the board. He has a very interesting uh, upcoming visit to Oregon, which we previewed a little bit a couple weeks ago. Um, that's the last weekend before signing day. Like Oregon hasn't been super in the mix here, but we talked about last time that they will have a very interesting uh, pitch. You want to put it that way? Yeah, yeah, every interesting recruiting pitch for someone like him, right? Who has this national end already uh, as a five star as one of the few uh, five stars that still hasn't signed in this class. And as someone who legitimately could one day run in the Olympics, like he's, he's that good. He has some of the fastest high school track times nationally in history. Um, yeah. It's not like number one or anything, but it's up there. Like he's, he's a legit track star. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you, you think about Oregon and their Nike connection. We talked about Maryland and their under connection. I think both schools do have some interesting uh, pitches, like you said, NIL opportunities, all those sorts of things. That said, uh, South Carolina, I think, is still very much in the mix. He's got a long and strong relationship with Shane Beamer, going all the way back to when Shane Beamer was at Oklahoma. Uh, Beamer was one of the first people to kind of recognize him and, and get in on that. Um, and then obviously you have the DMV connection with South Carolina. That's been working pretty well uh, thus far, especially the 2023 class. You think of guys like uh, Tree Babalade, um, Zabari Sandy, Desmond Umiozulu. Umiozulu, by the way, uh, probably, you never can tell necessarily, but probably he's going to get a little ratings boost here when the final rankings come. He really showed out at the Under Armour game. Um, we'll probably talk about the two deep here in a couple weeks, but it would not surprise me if he pushes for playing time as a freshman there on the edge. Anyway, uh, but with Harbor, I mean, obviously the, the decision coming up soon, um, the, the late signing period 
is February 1st. So just in a couple weeks here. Um, and then the other 2023 guy uh, that we're still tracking is wide receiver Elijah Caldwell. He just received an offer, I believe, a week ago. Um, and then I saw literally today on Twitter, Justin Stepp went to his high school, was kind of visiting with him. Um, I think South Carolina is in pretty good position there as well. And we're going to talk about uh, what the receiver room looks like a little bit here shortly. But I think if South Carolina does land him, they might be done at wide receiver, both in the portal and recruiting-wise for 2023, which may sound surprising, but we can kind of talk about what that room looks like uh, here in a second, and maybe it won't be quite as surprising as you think. Um, other recruiting notes. So, like I said, this is kind of a weird time because you're finishing up 2023, but really 2024 has started in earnest at this point. Um, next weekend, the 20th, is Junior Day weekend. We I just put a weekly recruiting wrap-up yesterday. Uh, really quick list of like six or seven pretty big name juniors that are going to be on campus. Um, I'm sure that list will expand between now and next weekend. Uh, we know Dante Reno is going to be there, 2024 quarterback commit, and he's obviously working to get some other guys there. And then you got some, uh, some commitment dates already uh, for some really important targets coming up. So um, you have Cam Pringle set to announce on January 22nd, which is nine days from now. That's uh, Insay O'Lyman, four-star. Um, you have tight end Michael Smith, who is in um, it, it, South Carolina is in a really good position for. He's set to us on the 24th. And then rivals 250 linebacker Wendell Gregory, um, who actually just went on the record with Adam Friedman um, about his top schools, including South Carolina. Um, and you can find that article on GameCockScoop.com if you just scroll back a day or two. Um, he's set for the 27th. So, yeah, by the end of the month, we should see um, decisions of several 2023 targets that are left and then go ahead and start to see some of those 2024 targets start to fall. Um, otherwise, recruiting-wise, we have some portal news. Um, since we last talked, uh, South Carolina lost Jordan Birch to the portal, which was a pretty big one. Um, actually, to Oregon, so Oregon could put the villain twice in a row for South Carolina fans if they if they were to able to convince. Is this uh, the Harvard. return for Tanner Bailey? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So uh, whenever Cristobal first went to Oregon, um, or first left Oregon, who's left? Who's yeah, there? it's uh, Dan Lanning. Yeah, when uh, Cristobal first left Oregon um, last year, Tanner Bailey flipped his commitment to South Carolina. So, yeah, maybe this is um, the just deserves or whatever. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's obviously a big hit. Um, one portal name in the opposite direction to look at is Missouri uh, defensive end Trahan Jeffco. He played at Irmo High School, um, and he would only have one year of eligibility remaining, I believe. Uh, he's a He'd be a fifth-year senior. Um, but he was actually an all-SEC defensive end in 2020 for Missouri. Um, he's had a really solid career there. And I, so, obviously, it hurts to learn birds. If you do learn him, I think kind of mitigates some of that. And we've seen thus far in the portal, right, you think about the tight ends that moved on and they immediately were able to kind of flip that room back over. Um, Beamer and his staff have handled the portal pretty well. Um, and this is what you're going to have to do in uh, the modern 
era of college football, um, you're you're going to lose people every year. It's just going to happen. You may lose some big names every year. Um, you just have to make sure that you're replacing with similar levels of talent, um, and obviously recruiting well in high school ranks and keeping those. That's guys where the Ubi Azulo thing comes in too, because he really could get snaps as a freshman at Edge. Um, obviously, they're trying to get Jordan Strawn back for a seventh year of. Uh, eligibility with a medical waiver. It sounds like we're feeling pretty good about that, but we won't know until much later. Um, and then you're looking at guys like Tyreek Johnson, you're going to need to step up. Brian Thomas Jr., uh, we didn't even mention it, but Hot Rod Fitton's in the portal now, too. So that's another edge rusher. Um, yeah. And it might have to be some freshmen next year. Yeah, which uh, you mentioned Tyreek Johnson. Um, I know that Perry McCarty, who is former head uh, high school and does all of our like film articles. I actually think he has several more coming out in the next few days on some more of the transfer guys. Um, he's really high on Tyreek Johnson. So uh, for what it's worth, maybe Tyreek Johnson takes a big step forward next year and um, kind of fills some of that role as well. But That's what I'm looking forward to spring for sure. Yeah, there's there's some unknowns for sure. And then you still have uh, Montague uh, Rames, also four-star freshman. Um, and I wasn't trying to take anything away from him by uh, praising Umi Ozulu, but I do think, you know, if you're projecting right now, maybe Umi Ozulu is a slight um, favorite ahead of him to get immediate starts there. Um, but we have some really big news because I feel like that was kind of a roller coaster of up and down news. Um, but since we last spoke, uh, something that we've been kind of alluding to that we thought was going to happen, but, you know, we, we entirely sure uh both juice wells and spencer adler are going to come back next year um and we talked about how those guys are kind of tied together so once juice wells announced early last week we kind of felt like the rattler news was going to come soon thereafter um that came on About 24 hours was the yeah. next day <laughs> and it, it was during uh south carolina's historic uh <laughs> upset of kentucky um, so like we were joking in the, in the Slack channel, like, okay, like that's, <laughs> that's great. Spencer, but basketball going on here. Um, I have a theory yeah. on that, that he yeah. scheduled that for like about where the game was going to be at halftime thinking they might be down big, just trying to like, cheer. like that looked like a scheduled tweet, obviously. Like, yeah, I, I think he might've planned it for halftime. Then it wasn't planning on South Carolina being up. I think they were up 10 at the half. Hey, maybe, maybe so. But so what <laughs> it, it ended up just being a really, really good night, right? So rather comes There you down. go. Um, excellent use of the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio meme in Wall Street. Um, <laughs> he's not leaving or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that gives you a lot of stability on offense heading into the 2023 season. Like I said, we'll talk a lot more about the depth chart or the proposed depth chart as everything settles in in the next couple of weeks. But, um, I mean, there's your starting quarterback. There's your number one receiver. Uh, you have to feel pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's kind of the stability is a good way to put it there. You're, you went into this year with so many questions, right? You knew Rattler was the starting quarterback. You didn't know how that would look, how that would settle in. You had a lot of receivers who were in the mix who could have been the number one target. You didn't really know how Wells was going to fit in. You are, I mean, it is January 13th, and you know who your best quarterback and your best receiver is for next year. You've already seen them connect. Um, obviously, you know, Wells over 900 yards this year. Rattler, you would think second year more comfortable here. Obviously, it's a different system he's going to be working with with Dowell Loggins, but you've got that, you've got that squared away. You're not, 
there's going to be a lot of changes on this offense next year. New system, new play caller, three new offensive linemen, obviously a pre- pretty much completely remade running back in tight ends room. But you're not turning this over. You're not turning quarterback over. And he's got a, I don't want to call him a safety net because he's so much more than that. But he's got his favorite target back. Um, and I think if you're Dowell Loggins, that's probably the best news you could have gotten too. Yeah, really, the wide receiver room uh, now looks pretty much the same as it did this past year. Obviously, you don't have Josh Van, but he kind of had a, a disappointing season and, of course, was was injured there at the end. Um, so you have Xavier Leggett, you have Amarian Brown, you have on Joyner, and you have um, Juice Wells as your core four there. You have some receiving tight ends, uh, perhaps even – better receiving options on the whole. Maybe none of them are Jaheim Bell. Uh, maybe none of them have the upside of Jaheim Bell, but uh, Trey Knox, very good receiving. Then um, Joshua Syme out of Western Kentucky, who owns like the single season reception record for touchdowns for Western Kentucky coming in. And then Nick Elks, Elksness. Uh, man, I struggle with his name every time. I always want to say Elkskins, and that's not right. Um, but Elksness. Also, um, on his high school tape, showed a propensity to be able to catch the ball, too. Um, so, yeah, I think you, your receivers look pretty good. You also have um, a highly touted true freshman. Well, I guess it would be a redshirt freshman next year, Landon Sampson, uh, who could take a step forward. We have a couple guys coming in uh, as freshmen that I think have some upside. Um, maybe you land Elijah Caldwell, who has some upside. So, um, really, the, that room is fuller than maybe we thought it was going to be. Yeah. Well, you ago. think about, I think I might have mentioned this in the last episode, but about Trey Knox kicking outside. Now that you have those other two tight ends to kind of play more inside. Knox was originally a receiver. He was recruited to Arkansas as a wide receiver. They moved him inside. Um, Dowell Logan was part of that. Um, do you think there's a chance Trey Knox and kind of his frame and skill set works better on the outside um, now that they have more stability inside a tight end? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because Al was his position coach right. at Arkansas. He's seen him at tight end. Arkansas made the decision to move him to tight end. I think he'll play both. Like, I think he uh, definitely can kick out and we'll see him split wide. But I also think – Is that like your Jaheim Bell role maybe, you think? Yeah, I think so, for sure. Okay. Um, real quick comment from Bobby Tucker on YouTube. He said, how strong coming on? I assume he means strong. Jordan Strong. Yeah, we don't know exactly um, what I have heard from people around the team is that they expect they, they're feeling optimistic about him getting his medical waiver and coming back next year. Um, but that's really up to the NCAA, I believe, at this point. So they're just kind of waiting. Yeah, knee wise, I know he's, you know he's obviously had the surgery, he's rehab, he's feeling pretty good by the sounds of it. But obviously, it's not he's not going to participate in spring ball because you don't do that off an ACL that that soon. But he's, by the sounds of it, he's feeling good. And like Caleb said, it's not really up to him or up to anybody in South Carolina if he's going to be able to play next year. Yeah. The other question um, with this Rattler and, and Juice Wells news, um, other than just the wide receiver room, is what happened in the quarterback room now, right? So you have uh, Spencer Rattler, obviously, back, going to be the starter. Luke Doty, who I believe has two years of eligibility left, um, could be three COVID year kind of confuses me sometimes, but he redshirted this year. So he gained an extra year this year. 
Um, then you have uh, Tanner Bailey, who we saw work his way into third on the depth chart, was starting to travel with the team at the end of the year. Um, that's former four-star. Uh, he'll be a redshirt freshman next year. You have um, Jay Lynn Daniels, who's a walk-on, but you know has had a lot of uh, buzz around him. He worked out with Rattler um, coming out of Juco, um, same quarterbacks coach out in Arizona and stuff. And then you have um, Goffier, another former four-star, but seems to be kind of the, the odd man out at the moment. And then you have Lenora Sellers, who just showed up on campus. Um, he is a three-star on Rivals, but has a lot of upside as a threat guy. I'm obviously just one championship in the state of South Carolina. Braden Davis is in the mix, too. Braden Davis was good in the spring last year. So you got, and then you have Dante Reno coming in in 2024. So there's another four star and a future, you know, face the program sort of guy. So uh, it's pretty crowded in there right now. And you have to think uh, at least one to three of those guys uh, probably at some point sees the writing on the wall and decides to try their chances somewhere else. Yeah, it's an interesting little, you know, after Rattler announced on Tuesday, you've got, there's, we've got, we're recording this on January 13th. So there's five days left for the portal to open. You can still sign somewhere after that day closes, but you can't enter the portal until after spring ball once that deadline hits on Wednesday. So if there's any quarterback shuffling immediately, it's going to be in the next five days. I tend to side with you that someone's going to just kind of stack up the situation and do the math in their head and realize there's just not enough snaps to go around. Um, but then also the second portal window of the offseason, May 1st through the 15th, that might be more telling because by then you're post-spring ball, you're post-spring reps. And we know Rattler's going to be running with the ones, but kind of the rest of that depth chart, how that shakes out, if anybody's not feeling good about where they are post-spring or where they might be going into the season, you've got that 15-day window in May for players to enter the transfer portal. Yeah, you're not quite into like, Georgia territory where you have someone like Justin be sitting on the bench <laughs> and, and going to Ohio State or whatever. It, it's the best depth at quarterback for South Carolina that I can remember. Um, so it's a problem, but definitely a good problem to have. Yeah, but it's still a problem. And that's kind of what we were talking about before the show at some point. And really it's, it is the coaching staff's problem, but it is also the problem of each of these individuals and, you know, trying to figure out what they want, where they're going to end up. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to see how it's going to play out because on that, you kind of think of college football in terms of timelines and cycles. Well, everybody's cycle just got pushed back one year by Rattler coming back because he's clearly the starter next year. So what does that do for people's plans? Well, you know, where did you think you were going to be in two years? It might be three years now. Everything just got pushed by Rattler, which is great for the staff. And I think it's great for South Carolina, too. Um, but it is still a problem that is going to sort itself out one way or another, whether that's in these next five days or in May or next off season, even. Yeah. If you're the coaching staff, you have to really get your talent evaluation correct here. Um, because yes. These are a lot of guys that you're not necessarily going to see in the game scenario um, that you really have to decide, like, am I going to fight to keep this guy on the roster for two or three years down the line? Uh, or, you know, do I let him go because it's best for him or whatever? Um, yeah, it is, it is a problem, but it's still a good problem to have. And you have to think that, um, out of that group of six names or seven names or however many, I just rattled off, uh, for lack, <laughs> forgive the pun there. Um, 
then uh, you know something's going to work out there. But we'll, we'll see. Um, one other question I see that you put on the dock here, just on this subject. Um, so there's only been a few uh, South Carolina wide receivers. Four times. Four receivers have happened five times because one of them did it twice. Yeah, so that's Sydney Rice is the one that did it twice. Uh, Sterling Sharp, Farrah Cooper, and Alshon Je Jeffrey are the uh, four wide receivers to ever get 1,000 yards in a season. Uh, Juice Wells got 998 this past year. Do you foresee him, you know, breaking that 1,000 mark? Yeah, I do. Year? If you say so, I mean, it's January 13th. We're actually going to get into some predictions. Some looking back at the prediction we made before this year, a little bit later. But, yeah, I do. If he's healthy, um, I think they're going to have to throw the ball more this year. They're you don't feel as good about that running back room as you did last year, I don't think. Um, yeah, I think Juice, another year with Spencer, can get to 1,000 next year. Yeah, and I think over the course of the season, we saw, I mean, it was very up and down. It's really kind of hard to, to figure out what this team was on offense uh, when you look back at the season. But um, they started the season kind of gungy, right? You think back to Arkansas, and I think Juice Wells had like 180 yards versus touchdowns in that game. Yep. Um, but after that game, we were kind of like, oh, maybe they should be leaning on the run game a little bit more. And then they went through a stretch where they were very heavily leaning on the run game. They had several games of like 200 yards passing or something like that. Um, but then, of course, to beat the elite teams on the schedule like Tennessee and, and Clemson and to compete with Notre Dame the way that they did, they really did air it out a lot more. So you have to think that's going to be some of the strategy uh, going into 2023 is just kind of lean on Rattler. And sometimes you might get burned with that, as we saw. Um, but I think that that gives you your best to compete against the top teams in the conference and the top teams in the country that you're going to be playing next year. Yeah, and that obviously you're just, I think, kind of to tie it full circle here before we move on. You use the word stability to start. You're stable at the most important position now. And that is something that was not there at all in the first year of the Shane Beamer era. And now you kind of see how far that's come in a year and a half. Um, he gives you at least a puncher's chance against, uh, I still don't know about Georgia, but maybe anybody else on that schedule, right? Um, just seeing what he did in those big games, kind of his upside. You never feel like you're out of a game Again, maybe except Georgia with Spencer Rattler there. Yeah, I mean it's tough for anybody to throw against Georgia, right? You just have yeah, to I know pop. that's that's oh, kind oh. of the caveat, but in general, you feel like you have a chance with him. Yeah, we just saw the top offense in the country uh, struggle against Georgia. So. Yeah, um, yeah. Also, on that note, um, if any of you guys have been paying attention to Twitter rumors and all, it does sound like. The uh, rivals up the road there getting Lincoln. I mean, not Lincoln Riley. Well, uh, Garrett the other Riley. Riley. Yeah, Garrett Riley is their uh, offensive coordinator there. So that'll be interesting. And also, you know, speaking the elephant in the room, right? If Garrett Riley goes to Clemson and is very successful um, and you got a uh, lesser name, I guess, in Dowell Logan. Um, who I think, you know, we've talked about all the reasons that I think it worked out, uh, the way that he came in and won the press conference, all those sorts of things. But um, that's a pretty glaring comparison point right up the road, for sure, that I'm just going to look at next year. November 25th. That's that kind of – it's college football. Everything come, kind of comes back to that, right, at the end of the day. Definitely. Um, all right. So one more I'm going to ask about Rattler. Do you think – 
he made the right decision. Like, let's think about all the things that he had on the table, right? He had an NFL draft possibility, but he, I, I'm thinking he was probably going to be a day three pick, maybe round four, five, something like that. Um, maybe round three if we're on the upside, but still, you know, like that, as a quarterback, that's no guarantee. Um, he also could have gone in the portal potentially. I don't know if, what his grad transfer status was, but yeah, maybe he could have gone in the portal, tried his hand at another major program because uh, he was going to have to change offenses anyway. Uh, or he came back with people that he's familiar with, Juice Wells, main name there, uh, obviously the coaching staff. And, um, you know, perhaps he thinks that there can be a good bit of carryover from this season to whatever Dowell Loggins next year. You think that that's probably the best of his three options? I really hesitate to like put words in his mouth and try to get it in his, in his head, but kind of looking at it from the my perspective, I would lean yes. And I also think that he probably a believes in what's happening here, and b thinks he might have that there might be carryover. And I know it's, that's always dangerous in college football. You know, we spend eight months in an off season, we talk about it, but I think. He believes, I'm trying to be really careful with my words here, he believes that what those last two games of the regular season and the bowl game to an extent look like can be done for a whole season here next year. And if that's the case, then all kinds of possibilities are on the table. Yeah, and if you carry that offensive momentum um, into next season, then I think he it is the right decision and he probably uh improves his draft stock going into next year for sure right um i can't i can't remember the exact stats but um he was upside down on his touchdown interception ratio through the first seven or eight games yeah um but then it took a while to even out well yeah but down the stretch it, it evened out like it, it more than evened out meaning he really uh exceeded that down the interception ratio down the stretch so being keep that same uh, momentum into next year, South Carolina is going to be pretty good. Um, and also, uh, he's going to improve his own individual stock. All right. Yeah, uh, then, I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just go to the next thing. You look, I looked at this earlier. I listened back. You did a lot better on these than I did. Uh, we're going to look at some, we, I don't know if you guys remember the Thursday before the Georgia state game week one, we made some predictions for 2022, some over under some team leaders. And I gotta be honest, you crushed it. You really did. Uh, team record. Uh, Alan, you don't you know that you're, don't you know that you're supposed to like give predictions and then never revisit them so that no one ever knows how, uh, <laughs> you know, I think you kind of want fair. people to know how these yeah, m mine came out okay, but to be fair, you abs absolutely crushed all of us in the uh, season long. In the like, pick'em pick and the bowl mania yeah, too, and, and the bowl, the bowl pick'em. So uh, I think you know we both know what we're talking about to some degree. All right, go ahead. You can you can keep complimenting me. Yeah, no, I just I listened to our second <laughs> back September uh, final record. You had eight and four. I had seven and five for regular season. We didn't pick a bowl game, obviously. Um, eight and four. Got it. That Clemson game swung it. Uh, leading rusher, we both said Marshawn Lloyd. That ended up being the case, although not by as big a margin as I think we might have thought. Yeah, uh, I, I would say he, he missed the whole back half of the season. Period, so, um, it's actually kind of surprising. That that means no one really stepped up uh, in his place because um, you would think, honestly, someone would have surpassed him with as many games as he missed. 
Yeah, he finished at 573 rushing yards. That was still comfortably leading the team. Jaheim Bell was second. Um, we both kind of on that episode said we thought Christian Beal Smith was going to run him close. That did not happen. He finished at 156 rushing yards. And I think 50 of those were on that one play against Vanderbilt, that third down where he kind of popped out and scored. Yeah. Um, leading receiver, you had Antoine Wells Jr. And quote, you said this in September. From what I've been able to tell you, you established a good connection with Spencer Rattler. Yeah, Got it. And that ended up being uh, very true. Uh, I d- definitely did not expect him to almost get a thousand yards and have the season <laughs> that he had. Um, you know, basically plays. I mean, again, like we got to think about who Antoine Wells is because it's really impressive his trajectory. He got recruited by James Madison when James Madison was still um, part of the That's football the championship, yeah, subdivision. Um, so he's a he's a what used to be D2 player essentially at high school, and now he played his way into being one of the top receivers in the SEC. Um, and, you know, if he has a good year next year, being drafted uh, really high um, with the ability to go start for an NFL team or whatever. So that's pretty crazy um, and definitely exceeded the expectations that I had. I just yeah. knew out of fall practice what I was hearing was – uh, that he was flashing and that he and Spencer Rattler were spending a lot of time after practice, you know, throwing and, and all that. Yeah, stuff. I wrote about that in Jacksonville, actually. I saw that. Um, and I said Jaheim Bell. Whoops. <laughs> I um, mean, it, he, he definitely had an impact. He had a huge impact. Yeah, but he finished fourth in the team in receiving yards. It ended up being Wells by a huge margin. He was more than 400 yards ahead of Jalen Brooks, who was second. Josh Van third. Bell fourth. And I think Bell finishing fourth on the team and receiving yards is a big part of why he's not here anymore. He's not here anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Give you a mulligan on this one. We picked sacks leaders. I said Jordan Birch. He came in second. Uh, you said Jordan Strawn, which could have happened. Maybe. No way to know. He got hurt in game two, missed the year. The answer. Do you know who the answer was? I put it on the doc. I, I don't know if you look. I'd see it on the doc, but I did not know before you put it on the doc. Um, that's surprising and also a really good sign for next year. Yes, the leader in sacks on this team this year was Tonka Hemingway with four. Uh, obviously, he played inside and outside. Um, maybe you'd probably like your leader in sacks to have more than four, but they did get some pretty good kind of balance from that, that group this year. You had uh, four from Tonka Hemingway. You had three and a half from Jordan Birch, which, like I said, that was my pick. Um, you had Zach Pickens in there with two and a half. Um, Sherrod Green, two and a half. Gilbert Edmond, two. Like, you're getting sacks. You don't have that elite edge rusher. Um Maybe that's Jeff Code if he ends up coming next year. Um, maybe it's strong if he gets healthy. You don't know. Um, but, yeah, we both missed that one. But I think uh, I was half a sack off on Birch, and I think you get a mulligan on Strong. Yeah, I don't I don't know if you – I mean, Tonka had an amazing season. But um, Strong is very much a pass rush specialist. Yeah, he holds um, Georgia State's record still for sacks in a season. Yeah. So, you know, if South County can get him back and they can force some teams into third and longs, maybe he bounces back and has quite a few next year. Um, All right. The next one also surprised me. Yeah, interceptions leader. We both said Cam Smith. I don't think that was a hot take or any kind of outlandish pick back in August. Uh, Marcellus Dial with three. Um, Obviously had a big one in the Clemson game. Um, Three picks on the year. Yeah, I will say with the Cam Smith uh, answer, like at the beginning, it has some trepidations because teams are afraid to throw at him. Um, and that yeah. proved to be true over the course of the season. Also, uh, 
lot of times um, when they did throw at him, he got called for pass interference. <laughs> that That's true. A lot this, this past year, which, you know, to some degree, I think that was just him being aggressive and, uh, I don't know. There was a weird trend that ended up. I'm interested to see what NFL yeah. scouts do with that. I think he's still a first round pick. Um, yeah, I know. I do too. I just mean like how high in the first is he, do they look at that as handsy or like good aggression? Cause different teams right. view that differently. Yeah. And yeah, I'm interested if NFL officiating would be as strict, although they, they have been at times. I don't know. Anyway, um, it's good to have your leading interception uh, guy, Marcel style come back. Um, also, Gamecock Scoop folks, uh, Pauline did an interview with Marcella Style about a month ago. Um, you can find that on our YouTube channel. So definitely go check that out. Really interesting guy. Um, really good dude. And uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do next year. And then, yeah, the last one we both we whiffed. Uh, very much whiffed on. Um, so we were trying to figure out how many touchdowns Rattler might throw on the season. And we set the line at 30.5, and we both took the both over. over. <laughs> yeah, we mm. only had 18. Um, although, if you set that same line going into 2023, I might pick the over again. <laughs> what about – got to make some notes before we do. You know, we'll do this before week one next year. Kai Kroger touchdown passes next year. Where would you set that <laughs> over under? Um, and how many do you have this year? Four? I think it was three. Mm. I would probably set it at three, but let's make it interesting and set it at 3.5. It's January. No one's going to remember this. I'll take the over. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll take the under, but I think it's a it's a really good line. I think <laughs> we're definitely going to see some more, more tricks in, in the bag. Although I think uh, here's my way too early prediction. He's also going to throw an interception next year. I think some oh. team is that. <laughs> I think some team's finally going to like, jump on it at some point damn ruining that person perfect passer rating he's got going <laughs> um all right so that's about all we had for football today um like i said we'll keep you updated on all recruiting stuff on gamebackscoot.com um yesterday i posted a weekly recruiting wrap-up we'll have some more stuff on the junior day as we head into next week um and i'm expecting some more for poor movement in the next five days or six days uh, before that window closes. So kind of keep your your eye open there. Um, it's basketball season though. And it is. guess what? <laughs> the men won an SEC game. Not just any SEC Not just game, an won. SEC game, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they won uh, for the third time ever in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, third time ever at Rupp too, I think. Um, they were two and 29 previous uh, to that in Lexington and like two and 26 at Rep Arena. They had a couple other losses in Lexington prior to that. Um, first time they beat Calipari in Rep Arena. He was 8 no before that. Um, pretty crazy, crazy upset. I mean, obviously, like we can start with the caveat that this Kentucky team is not as good. Uh, it's probably, Cal it's definitely Calipari's worst team since he's been there. Um, but still, I mean, road game, SEC. This team that was picked very last in the SEC, yep. uh, that's a huge win. That's a. Uh, I wrote a piece about proof of concept. Um, you can check that out on GameCockScoop.com. It ran Wednesday after the game. Just that is your – not that they didn't have it before, but that is your biggest proof of concept yet. Not only that you go to Lexington and you win that game, but kind of the way they won that game, the way they closed that game, especially defensively those last two possessions. Um, 
the response we because we haven't recorded since the men's game before that either when they played Tennessee and suffered their worst home loss in program history. Uh, they lost by 43, worst SEC loss ever. Um, they responded from that. They were right out of the gate at Kentucky. They were up 13-2 before the first media timeout. Um, that is how you respond uh, when you're buying into what, what you're being sold, when you're developing as a unit. Um, Gigi Jackson went from zero points against Tennessee on, I think, O of H shooting to 16 points in Lexington. He looked way more comfortable with his shot. That is how you respond, and that is why I think that is a good early proof of concept for LeVon Paris. Yeah, so I, I covered this game. Um, Michi Johnson went off. Um, I, <laughs> I had six threes, I believe. Uh, made nine of 16 overall. He made like at least three or three or four threes from like half court range almost. <laughs> like made it from the logo. Uh, just feeling himself. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit uh, in the back that that may come back to bite him at times because uh, that the shooter shoot mentality uh, gives and the shoot mentality takes as well. Um, but he was hitting the other night and and they needed all of those 26 points that he scored. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, I was really impressed with Gigi Jackson. Um, he made several like long twos. He, he was two for two for three, for, which was also great. Uh, but then he made some some really impressive like step back, uh, eighteen foot uh, jumpers um, that were like NBA quality. Um, and he also kind of like worked his body inside and, and made some tough shots. That's too. what I wanted to see more of. Just coming out yeah. of that Tennessee game, you're talking about it in our Slack. Um, he was not aggressive enough in that Tennessee game. He wasn't getting to the rim. Um, Lamont Paris actually said he give him credit. He's being honest. Um, he said that after that Tennessee game, look, Gigi's handled the situation well, the pressure, the hype, 17 coming in, but he didn't handle it well today. He missed some shots early, slumped his head. He wasn't himself, and he got benched start the second half against Tennessee. Um, he was not on the court to start that second half. And then he – using his body, like I said, that's an NBA frame. He's got an NBA skill set, NBA explosiveness off the dribble. Um, I do think for this team to, I don't know, reach its ceiling, I guess, you're going to need Gigi Jackson – a, hitting those jumpers, but also using his frame to get to the foul line, too. Well, individually for Gigi Jackson, that that was a big bounce back for his, you know, NBA career and stuff, too, right? Like, showing that he can take that tough coaching of getting benched <laughs> against Tennessee um, and really respond and, and come out uh, on the road in a tough environment, in a tough match. Uh, Shweeby, how do you say his name? Awesome. Shibwe, Shibwe. Yeah, National Player of the Year Shibwe. last year. Um, he was on him a lot, uh, defense and Jackson beat him a couple times. Um, yeah, I mean, really Im impressive, uh, bounce back there for him. And, and you like to see that from an attitude perspective, because I mean, we've all played, you know, organized sports or whatever, where you have the best player on the team that doesn't have to deal with very much adversity in the first. And sometimes if you can get, you know, that adversity to them, uh, they don't respond because they're just not used to it. Um, and I'm sure you know, Gigi Jackson has not had dealt with that much adversity um, throughout his playing career thus far. He's always been the best uh, player on the floor. I mean, even in college, he still sometimes is. Um, but uh, it, it's good to see him mentally respond from that adversity. And it's good to see um, whatever Lamont Paris is selling seems working uh, for the team. Yeah, I had a couple more notes on this game, too. There was a starting lineup change for the first time. 
don't know about all year. I think BBV's only not started one game, the one he missed with the, the law school trip on the road at George Washington. So starting lineup change, Josh Gray got his first start of the season. Um, he ended up playing, I have it open here, 24 minutes. Um, you know, up and down there again, but I just think it's kind of interesting. Lamont made a change. I think that was a size thing to deal with Shibway. Uh, Josh Gray is a little bit longer than Bozeman's Verdonk. He's, you know, seven-footer, obviously. Um, so that's one note I had. I don't know if that's going to continue. The men are back in action tomorrow against Texas A&M at home. I'm interested to see if that's Gray or Bozeman's Verdonk starting at the five. Um, and then Jacoby Wright has basically become the sixth man of this team. He played 17 minutes off the bench. He's not always the first sub, but he's the sub that's playing the most. Uh, and he led the team in bench minutes again. He saved that game at the end. I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it, but – the Kentucky cuts at the one, about 30 seconds left. Shot, I think it was Michi, up, miss. Jacoby Wright gets that rebound, puts it back up, put him up three. And he goes down the other end and gets a steal um, on a kickout pass that could have been a game-tying three for Kentucky. Uh, so I want to give Jacoby Wright a shout-out. I think he's playing pretty it well in that kind of – No, it wasn't just a putback. He got fouled and made two clutch free throws. And then, yeah, got that steal there. Uh, so that was – that he's, was yeah, huge. he's like I said, he's kind of taken that third guard role behind Mickey Johnson and Chico Carter Jr. He's we've seen him on the court together with those two when Lamont wants to go small. Lamont seems to like Jacoby Wright, kind of what he brings to the table here, and kind of watching what I watched on Tuesday night, I can understand why. Yeah, I tell you what, it's also just been kind of fun to watch Mickey Johnson, who has exceeded his expectations. Uh, Far for sure. We're like we talked about how he was highly rated coming out of high school. He was a four star. Um, never really got a shot at Ohio State. Um, maybe because you know I don't know that his game necessarily works in that system as well as it does. Let him go play like he's playing in the backyard or whatever. And it's really fun, really fun to watch. I mean, sometimes again, it's gonna not work out. He's gonna brick some of those threes that he that he made the other night but um when he's hitting and when he's like feeling uh that like swag that comes with hitting several from the logo or whatever it's really really fun to watch steph curry rage yeah now you gotta they'll be tough games but three game homestand for the men now you're gonna kind of clear some road games you got three straight sec home games you've got AM at home tomorrow that's a hot AM team that's won five in a row but not an invincible one by any means you got an Ole Miss team coming here Tuesday that has not won an SEC game yet. They're the only team without an SEC win now that South Carolina is off the schneid. And then next Saturday, a pretty talented Auburn team's coming in, which that's going to be another tough one. But three-game homestand here, if you can maybe pick off another one of those, um, I think you're still feeling good about the tra- trajectory here. Yeah, definitely. You're at five right now. Uh, you know, <laughs> you're again, we've talked all season. You're not – you're probably it, – it would be shocking – uh, if you play your way even remotely into like a bubble bit or anything like that. Um, but um, I think thus far with the makeup of the team, uh, you can't be disappointed. Maybe the Tennessee loss and the way that you lose to Tennessee, you know, that's not acceptable. You can't get blown up by 40 at home. Um, but, you know, to have this game come right off the heels of that um, really eases the pain of that a good bit. And then the women's team continues to just be amazing. They're undefeated, 17-0. Uh, they did struggle slightly for a second uh, against Kentucky. Was that last night? Um, yes. But then still kind of took care of business down the stretch. I uh, end up with a easy-looking for. That's you know, kind of my thing, easy-looking, yeah. 
yeah, if you're keeping up with it in real time, uh, yeah, they trailed by as many as 10. And uh, even at halftime, I believe they were only up by like four or so. Um, it was so four point game and a half, yeah. yeah. It's the depth. That's kind of my whole thing here. And talk about superstars. Aaliyah Boston had her season high last night. She had 21 points and 11 boards. Talk about Zaya Cook, who's exploding right now. She's got another 20-point game last night. But it's the depth that really makes this team. Um, Dawn Staley actually said at one of the pressers last week that you can – hold us down for two quarters, two and a half quarters. You can quadruple team Aaliyah Boston. I don't know if you saw that meme going around of Georgia having like four defenders on her in the post. Um, but the depth just eventually you run out of gas. And that's kind of exactly what happened to Kentucky last night. This team goes 12, 13 deep. Um, got, I think, 39 to 10 last night. Advantage in bench points. Two players with double figures off the bench. It's the depth. And they're going to have bigger challenges ahead. They've got a decent Missouri team coming in Sunday. Missouri is three and two in the league right now. Um, and I think we're all kind of looking at that February stretch with UConn, LSU, and Tennessee kind of two and a half weeks apart. I think all three of those games is kind of where the eyes are focused, but you still games between now and then, and you still got to win those games. And yeah, those of you that are watching this on YouTube or Twitter or whatever, just go to your star after the episode's over and type in Malaysia full Wiley's. Name. Um, yeah. That's uh, the, the commit that they have for the upcoming class. And uh, she's just dunking. She's just dunking. Casually at 5'7, dunking. Dawn was joking. <laughs> they got to find some alley plays between her and Ashton Watkins, who also dunked in a game this year for South Carolina. Yeah. So, um, you know, this, this team is very deep and is continuing to just reload. Um, enjoy the makings of a dynasty. Yeah. <laughs> and, and really, um at this point it's just you have to be able to finish the job down the stretch i mean it'd be great to have an undefeated season or whatever but that's not really the goal the goal is just once, once i you do make it into the tournament i do kind of believe this team is people might get mad going to lose a game at somewhere i don't think that's an indictment i don't think that's a oh they're gonna have a problem i just it's really hard to go that would be 29-0 in the regular season it's 12 games to go like i said you still got a road game at uconn you've got undefeated LSU coming here. You've got a road game at Tennessee. You've got a couple other SEC road games. I think there's probably a loss somewhere in there. But again, you're right. That's not the goal. The goal is to win a national title. And I, there's no reason to think that can't happen as we sit here midway through January and five games into the SEC schedule. Yeah. And really at this point, you're <laughs> – your competitors are, yeah, your, you know, blue bloods or whatever. Your real competitors are, you can better hope that there's not some WNBA team or something that throws a bag of money at Don Staley or something at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll see, man. It's, uh, I think, like I said, that February stretch, that's going to say a lot. Um, we're still a couple weeks away from that, but the schedule gets tougher in February and just keep it up at Gamecock Scoop. We've got coverage of that. Men's basketball, obviously, football. We're five weeks from baseball, I think. So it's going to get real busy here soon for me. And uh, I got some features coming too that y'all are going to enjoy. Some things I got cooking that I think you're going to enjoy reading. Yeah, definitely. Um, so as basketball goes, men are playing tomorrow at home versus Texas A&M. Women pit play on Sunday. Sunday against Missouri. At home versus Missouri. So those of you that have been to the state, go support the men's and women's team in person. Uh, those of you that are going to be watching it on TV, on GameFactsGroup.com, we'll have some live threads. We'll have some live updates and thoughts as games are going on. We'll have some full coverage for both of those. 
Um, anything else before we get out of here, Alan? I think I'm good. Just everybody enjoy your weekends. Enjoy these two basketball teams that are on a bit of a run right now. And we'll see you back here probably some point next week. All right. Until next time, this has been the GameCockScoop.com podcast. We'll see you next week.